Thank you, Vince. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning, so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. In our physical bodies, you and I, to some extent, are able to change the way that we look, right? You can look at me and think, there is a specimen of human achievement. But what you know me as is not what I looked like in college when I was running cross-country all of the time. I am twice the man I was then. When my dad passed away, he gave us, my brother and I, these boxes that he made. And in the boxes, he just threw a bunch of stuff in. It's really funny. It was almost like a time capsule. Because uh, he passed away in 2000. I opened it up around 2008. So almost 10 years, not quite 10, rounding. And so there was some differences there that he didn't realize that took place. And one of the differences was he gave me a rookie baseball card of just some rookie that year that he thought would be good, but he wasn't really sure of. And he illustrates this point that our bodies physically can change over time. Because the rookie card he gave me was Sammy Sosa's. Have you seen Sammy Sosa lately? He does not look anything like what he used to. When he was playing and was in the heat of his playing days, his head got really big. It was probably because of the drugs that he was doing to make himself a better hitter. I have his rookie card where his head's the normal size, but if you look at him now, he has bleached himself and he looks completely different to what he did then. When I was in college and I was running cross country, uh, we were not supposed to lift a whole lot, or at least that's the excuse I use. Because, uh, you know, we're running a whole lot. You don't want to weigh yourself down with all that muscle mass. Gross. So we would go in, and we would have to lift some just to stay in shape. But we would look across the room and realize that the girls who were running sprints were lifting more weights than we were. That their bodies were different than our bodies. I think about the hot dog eating contest that takes place on July 4th. Those people are built different physically. And different than we think they would be built, right? If you're good at eating 80, however many hot dogs in a minute, we think you would be kind of this huge guy. But the guys that are really good at that are not overweight. They're, they're skinny. They work hard to stay that way so that their stomach can expand. That it's these bodies that, that Paul is talking about in, in this text of Scripture that we're going to get to. But it's these bodies that we must understand. He's talking about not our physical bodies now as we know them, but our physical bodies as they will be post when we are resurrected when Christ comes back what that will look like and what that won't look like and so I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 35 all the way to verse 49 and then we will dive into the text but someone will ask how are the dead raised what kind of body will they have when they come you fool what you sow does not come to life unless it dies and as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of his, the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different than that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, and another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in incorruption, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. 
sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a, life, a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, and like the man of dust are those who are of the dust, and like the man of heaven are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today, and I'm grateful that we come to this passage of scripture that is just filled with so much resurrection hope for us. God, that we're taught and that we're reminded and that we're encouraged that this world is not all that there is. That life is just not done here. That, God, we will die, but we will be raised. And we will be raised because you are God and you see fit. God, help us as we look at this passage of Scripture and, and think through the implications of the resurrection, what that means for our bodies. Help us, God, in our bodies to glorify you. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Give us conviction where we need conviction. And help us, God, to be made more and more into your image, into the image of the man of heaven. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Verse uh, 35. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And, what you, uh, and as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. So I called this sermon bodybuilding because I thought that was appropriate. But really what Paul's doing here is in verse 35, he proposes two questions. First, how were the dead raised? And second, what kind of body will they have when they come, when they're raised? And so the first question, what, how are the dead raised, Paul's going to answer in the next section that we'll look at next week, verses 50 through 58. The question he's answering today is what kind of body will they have when they come? This is what this passage is going to work through. And so the first thing that Paul says when he's talking about the body that is going to come is Paul makes important that if you're going to do this spiritual bodybuilding that he's talking about here, the first step is to die. That you can't be raised from the dead unless you're first dead. And so he gives this illustration about farming. I, my family... Growing up, we were never good at, at growing plants at all. We have a story where we killed a cactus. So these things are kind of just foreign to me. I'm trusting that you'll understand the farming illustration that Paul is using. Where he says, when you put a seed in the ground, you dig a hole, you put the seed in, and then you cover the hole back up with dirt. You're essentially burying that seed, that it's dead. And it's not for a bit Right? There has to be some time. You don't bury a seed and then three minutes later, up sprouts a plant. 
that you bury the seed, that it dies, and then there's a lot of things taking place to where eventually you see the fruit of that plant that comes up. It grows. Paul's illustrating our lives with this, that we die, that we're buried, that we're covered in dirt. And then we wait. And eventually, from the ground, we will sprout. That your body will be resurrected when Jesus comes back. Remember, the broad branch of discussion Paul is covering in this section is there were people who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They were denying it. And Paul has walked through his argument. He's saying, if you're denying the bodily resurrection, you're saying... Jesus wasn't resurrected. If Jesus wasn't resurrected, then your salvation is worthless and we should be doing something else besides sitting here. But he says he was resurrected. He was alive. He is alive now. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in his physical body right now. One of the early things that Paul and a bunch of the New Testament writers are thinking about with this is this theological idea called Gnosticism when they're writing of these things. And the idea of Gnosticism was this belief that the physical is evil and the spiritual is good. And so it's taking place in Corinth, and you can see this traced out in a lot of other churches. And there's an argument to be made that John wrote his Gospel of John to battle this idea of Gnosticism, which is to say physical, bad, spiritual, good. And so the people in Corinth and the Romans and the Greeks especially believed that the way that you're saved is by dying physically so that you can set your spirit free, you can set your soul free, that you can be unchained from the physical. And Paul is saying, Jesus was physically raised from the grave. Your Gnosticism doesn't give you a picture of the gospel. The moment you die, you die. But you will not stay dead your soul goes to the lord in that moment if you're a believer in jesus christ and if you're an unbeliever then your soul goes to hell but your bodies are still on the earth but it does not stay there like a seed sown in a field we wait for life to sprout so paul comes back to god's sovereignty by reminding us that ultimately the body given to us is the body given to us because God saw fit for you to have it. I am technically 5'11", though if you look at my driver's license, it says six foot. I am the runt of my family, the only male below six foot in my family. I desperately want to be six feet tall. I've tried everything except eating vegetables. <laughs> Just, everybody has a line, and that's mine. There's nothing I can do about it. That's the way God saw fit. I am left-handed and I am right-footed. I can jump five credit card widths into the air. I cannot cross my eyes. I used to have blonde hair like cannons, but now my hair is less blonde. I want it to go bald, but God has not seen fit for that. I am desperate for a comb over, and Jessica Pinkerton told me it's not likely to happen. I have blue eyes while my mom, my dad, and my brother all have brown eyes. All of those things are things that I cannot change. All of those things are things that God has sovereignly given to me in my physical body, and you are the same way. It is not an accident that you are the way that you are. Your physical body is not a result of the fall. 
your physical body is not a result of the fall. Now, there's deterioration in our bodies that is a result of the fall. There's disease that takes place in our bodies that is a result of the fall. The pains of old age is a result of the fall. It's one of the wonderful things, like in Daniel, when God's called the Ancient of Days. It's this wisdom of the elderly, yet without all of the physical liabilities that come as we age. We see in the fall that childbearing, the pain of raising children, of having children physically and then dealing with them the rest of your life is a part of the fall. He's letting us, uh, he's making a point for us. Yes, you and I are spiritual beings. This is ingrained into our fabric. We are more than just bodies, but our bodies are not evil in and of themselves. We have a body that God has seen fit to give us, and our bodies will be resurrected when Christ comes back. So the first step in this spiritual bodybuilding that, that God is laying out in this text is to die. And understand that we all will physically die or Jesus will come back. Those are the two choices for us. But seeds have to die before they grow. But there is a physical death. There's also a spiritual death we must be aware of. Verse 39. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There's one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. And the splendor of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So first step to this physical, uh, the spiritual body building is to die. The second step is to recognize that with our resurrected bodies to come, that there is a difference in our physical bodies now and our physical bodies then. That God has created it this way. That our understanding must be a little bit different. We have to have some imagination as we read the scripture here because we're not given just a clear picture of what this looks like. We know what Paul's doing is he's taking us back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. That God in his creation creates all different kinds of life. There's livestock, there's things that swim, there's creatures that crawl, there's wildlife. It's all these different kinds of life. It's Paul reminding us that you and I didn't form out of the algae in a petri dish. We see this take place in Genesis 7, too, with the flood, when God tells Noah all different kinds of animals are going to come to you. He doesn't say every animal and across the whole earth is going to come. He says different kinds, that there's these subsets, these sections that take place, but there are differences. Genesis 7:14, and they entered it with all the wildlife according to their kinds, all the livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that crawl on the earth according to their kinds, every flying creature, all the birds, every winged creature, according to their kinds. Paul's pointing us back to creation and to our understanding of animals to remind us that there's these different kinds of flesh, these different kinds of things that take place, that you and I are not like dogs, that we're created differently. And he's showing us that our resurrected bodies are going to be different, a different kind than our physical bodies now. They will be a heavenly body as opposed to an earthly body. So what does this look like? Will we still be human? Yes. Let's correct a false theology here real quick that inserts its way into funerals a lot of times, but it's not an appropriate place to take that. When you die, you do not become an angel. They're a separate creation that God has made. 
We are different than the angels. Hebrews chapter 1 makes that very clear. So we're still human. But we're different like how the splendor of the sun is different than that of the moon and how the stars are different from one another. The splendor of the heavenly is different than the splendor of the earthly. And this is shrouded in mystery for us somewhat. The only biblical record we have of somebody being resurrected bodily and then wandering around is Jesus in and of himself. And we know that we will be like Jesus, but we don't know what features of Jesus' resurrected body are similar for us and which ones are unique to Jesus since he's God. Right? We see Jesus walk on the road to Emmaus with these two disciples. He goes to the next town over, and then he reveals to them at dinner, oh, hey, by the way, I'm Jesus. And their eyes are opened. They worship God. They, Where's it? Didn't you feel something when we were talking with them is what they say. And then all of a sudden Jesus vanishes and he disappears. Is that what we will get to do in our resurrected bodies? We're not told. We see Jesus in the room with the 11 remaining disciples where he's talking to them. We see him physically eat a meal, meaning he's not just spiritual. He's not a ghost. He physically eats fish, and then we see Jesus come in and out of the room as if like a locked door doesn't matter to him. Is that what our resurrected bodies will be like? It's shrouded with mystery for us. We're not told that's what we will or won't be like, but that's the example of a resurrected body that we have. We see in the ascension with Jesus at the beginning of Acts where Jesus bodily is raised up to heaven. He ascends to heaven. So we know he's there bodily right now. But this text isn't concerned with giving us the details of what our resurrected bodies will actually look like and what we can do or not do. Teleportation would be great. But I don't know if that's what we have or not. We're not clearly told. We just know that they will be different. We're not given a clear picture of the degree. But we do know that Jesus was recognized by those who saw him resurrected. So those who, who saw him in his earthly ministry and then those who saw him after his earthly ministry, resurrect, they, they recognized Jesus. We saw that in 1 Corinthians where Paul's like, I saw him, all the disciples saw him, there's 400 other people who all saw Jesus. We recognize that this was him. We see in 2 Samuel when David's talking about the loss of his infant son, he alludes to this idea that his infant son dies, that he's taken to heaven, and that David comes up with this idea that he's going to recognize his son. Well, how? If he's... An infant when he dies. We're not given those answers, but we recognize that there's some kind of understanding of who our bodies are in heaven, but we're not given the degree we're told how. This is frustrating because we have questions about these things that we want to know the answers to that the Bible just doesn't give to us. So we can speculate. How old will we be when we resurrected? What age? Is it the age when we deceased or is it not? How are we able to recognize each other? Will I have six-pack abs? Probably. <laughs> or maybe the opposite. Will my varicose veins still be there in the resurrected body? We're not told any of these things. We just know that our spiritual bodies are not going to be one-to-one -one replicas of our physical bodies now, but they're not going to be just so completely different and distinct that we don't recognize one another. And it's your physical body that's resurrected. Let's not miss that. But your body, we will die. We'll likely be put in a casket or cremated. You'll be buried under the earth. The dirt will cover you. But when Jesus Christ comes back, none of that will hold our bodies down. He'll open those things up. We're raised from the dead like we don't continue to lay in the dirt. We die first. 
but then there's this different kind of body that comes, the spiritual body. And I think what Paul's doing in this section by giving us these different kinds is he's telling us like there's a different kind of body, but there's a further point Paul's trying to make for us. He's giving us confidence in our bodily resurrection. He's saying, look at all of the different kinds of animals that God created. That there's all sorts of animals about this, this kingdom, right? There's this earth that we roam upon. And so you and I are in this building right now, and we can be certain that God is with us because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Yet at the exact same time right now, there is some creature down in the bottom of the depths of the ocean where human beings have never laid eyes on that God also is present with. And that he is sustaining and that he is keeping. We can look outside and go, there's a pile of dead leaves rotting somewhere. And there's some microorganisms that we can't see with our own human eyes unless we zoom in with some microscope or something and understand. And we can recognize that God not only sees those things, but he is providential over them. They're doing what God says to do. We can look at all of the ants around us and recognize that God is in control. That he has his eye on all of them, even though they're below the surface. We can look at the grackles that flock to parking lots like at Target, where minivans and suburbans open their doors and french fries fly out, and those birds just hover around and recognize that they're not really sustained by stale french fries, that it's the Lord's hand who's keeping them. That we can recognize that if God's eye is on a mere, like a measly sparrow, then certainly. If God is sustaining all of creation that way, if God created all of creation that way, then we can be confident in God's power to raise the dead. We can look up in the sky and recognize we shouldn't even stare at the sun, and we're however far away from the sun we are. Yet God breathes out all of the universe. And in this ever-expanding universe, we can look out now, right? Have you seen the pictures from the James Webb Telescope? Like, not even the Hubble. The Hubble is outdated. It is the VHS cassette tape of technology for space now. But you have this Hubble that's able to take these really clear pictures of these planets and these asteroids and these meteors and stars that we've not seen in the depth of images. That, yet we still can't physically get to those places. They went to the moon in 1969, and you and I don't have much of a chance of getting to the moon now. We can look at the vastness of space. I did some, some Googling. Uh, there's billions of galaxies, each filled with thousands of different kinds of stuff that's taking place. I read online it said it would take 1.3 million Earths to fill up the volume of the sun, and I still laugh that the measurement we use for space is light years, how far light travels in a year is how that's not accurate, right? If you round up a light year, you're rounding billions of miles. A light year is six trillion miles. That's the number six and then nine zeros behind it. So if you round just a little bit, you're rounding billions of miles. If my GPS is giving me an estimate on that kind of accuracy, I'm not going anywhere quickly or correctly. 100 miles in a light year is zero 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 one seventh. That's how vast space is. Yet what the scriptures clearly state is God holds it in the palm of his hands. 
that he places the stars in the sky and he has the earth rotate around the sun the way the earth rotates around the sun and the moon rotate around the earth the way the moon rotates around the earth. That it's not an accident that meteors fly by the way they fly by and comets fly by the way that they fly by and we're able to see all of those things for a purpose and for a reason and it's not because it's out of control but rather because God is absolutely in control even of those things that we have to measure in how far light travels in a year. That if God can handle that then certainly bringing back the dead, resurrecting the dead is not that big of a deal. Now that sounds crazy to people outside of Christian circles. But we can have confidence if we believe in the word of God and we trust the word of God that that is what God is telling us. So we die. We recognize that there's different kinds of things taking place. We can have confidence in this. And then verse 42 So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Listen to how Paul describes what's sown. This is his death. Remember, death is the first part. And we're comparing with with how we're dead is raised, the resurrection. That's the second part. They're different. Paul says that we're sown in corruption. We're sown in dishonor, in weakness, and in a natural body. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says this. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of a noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption, in order that as it is written, that the one who boasts boast in the Lord. It's sown in corruption, sown in dishonor, sown in weakness, sown in a natural body. 1 Corinthians 2, 1. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God for you, I did not come with brilliance of speech. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might be, uh, not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Sown in corruption, sown in dishonor, sown in weakness, sown in natural body. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 23. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise are futile. Let no one boast in human leaders for everything is yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, everything is yours. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Sown in corruption, sown in dishonor, sown in weakness, sown in a natural body. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and God will do uh, and the stomach for food. God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord, and He will raise us up with power. 
sown in corruption, sown in dishonor, sown in weakness, sown in a natural body, but raised in, in corruption, raised in glory, raised in power, raised with a spiritual body. Do you see what Paul has been saying this whole book? That we die to those things. It's not about how great we are. We recognize that in and of ourselves we are corrupt. We are dishonorable. We are weak. But God uses us in those places for his glory. So that when we're raised, we're not raised corrupt, but we're raised in incorruption. We're not raised in dishonor, we're raised in glory. We're not raised in weakness, we're raised in power. We're not raised with a natural body, but with a spiritual body. So death comes first in the spiritual body building that God is doing, and we have to understand that our natural bodies and our heavenly, our spiritual bodies are different in splendor and glory, and this is important to us because we will be raised. We start with a bodily death, but that is not where we finish. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, The last enemy to be abolished is death. Paul's saying you have a natural body, and just as you have a natural body, you have a spiritual body, and that spiritual body will be raised. You'll be changed to incorruptible. Certain things are buried so that other things can take over. And lastly, in, in verse 45, so it is written, the man Adam became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like a man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like a man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, Paul does this, this comparison in a couple different places in Scripture where he talks about the first man, Adam, Genesis chapter 2, and the second man, uh, the second Adam, who, who is Jesus. And he's comparing them for several different reasons. And so when we see Paul doing this, we have to get our minds wrapped around the idea of creation and a new creation that takes place with Jesus. In Genesis 1, when God is creating all of the earth, do you remember what happens? God speaks and it comes to life and we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the creation while God's doing it. Right? In John 1, what we're told is that Jesus Christ is intimately involved in the creation as well. In all of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we see take place when Jesus is baptized is a parallel account of creation. If you know the story of Jesus' baptism, you know the Father speaks. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and that the Son is intimately involved in the creation. Do you see what the Bible's doing? Is it's telling us this was the first creation with the first Adam, and now there's this second creation, this new creation that's taking place with Jesus Christ. The only gospel that doesn't immediately after the baptism of Jesus go into the temptation, which mirrors Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, right after creation is done, when Eve is made, in Genesis 3 is the temptation. In all of the gospels, after Jesus is baptized, the next thing that takes place is the temptation with the exception of Luke. And do you know what Luke puts in between them? A genealogy that traces Jesus all the way back to Adam. It's God paralleling these accounts for us so that we can recognize and understand this new creation that's taking place. 
so that we can see where the first Adam failed, walked with God without sin and failed. The second Adam does not. That the promises made in Genesis chapter 3 come to fruition in Jesus Christ. When God tells Satan what his punishment will be in Genesis 3.15, we see this. And I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, you will strike his heel. And we see in the gospel accounts, especially with Luke, tracing Jesus all the way back to Adam, that Jesus is the fulfillment of this text of scripture from Genesis chapter 3. He's showing that Jesus will have his heel struck, that he will die. But he will crush the head of the serpent because he will be resurrected. That he dies on the cross for our sin, that he bears the wrath of God on our behalf, that he takes our place, that he bruised, his heel is bruised. He dies, but he does not stay dead. The first Adam failed. You remember why the first Adam failed? He wanted to be like God. That's the temptation that Satan uses. Now, we know that human beings are created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Human beings have always been created in the image of God. This is why we're different. This is why we're distinct from animals. This is why I can mistreat my dogs, and it's okay, but if I mistreat my children, you should be upset at me. And we mistreat our dogs tremendously. There is a hierarchy of dogs in our house, and it makes me beyond frustrated, but that's a rabbit trail for a different day. (laughs) That we are unique in creation, that we are not cows, we are not dogs, we are not cats, we're not bugs, we're not monkeys, we're not fish. That there is something unique about us, and it's that we have been created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. We didn't evolve from algae. That we have morals and ethics and values that don't exist within the animal kingdom. However, in the temptation, Satan tempts Adam and Eve by saying, God doesn't want you to be like him. Genesis 3, 5. In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We're already made in the image of God at this point. But we are not God. That's where the image gets distorted. Where it gets twisted. It's where the seeds of rebellion, it's where the seeds of sin take place. That we want to be in charge of our lives. We want to be the king or the queen of our soul. We want to be God. We, that, that desire is it's not an image bearing of God that's good. That desire is of the flesh. We look like the first Adam, a man of the dust is what Paul tells us. Think about where Adam physically is at this moment. Spiritually, he's with the Lord. Physically, he's dust, dirt. And when Jesus Christ comes back and he's resurrected, he'll be resurrected with everybody else. But look at Paul, how Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that we would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Do you see what Paul is doing? 
He's saying God's plan for us, the plan of salvation, is for us to be conformed more and more into the image of the Son of God, into the image of Jesus Christ. That's called the the golden chain of salvation is what theologians have called it, and it ends with glorification where we're resurrected and brought with Jesus. This is Jesus coming back, resurrecting our physical bodies that were dead but are now made in a different kind of splendor, a different kind of glory that we're raised spiritually and we bear the image of the man of heaven, not just the man of the dust. 1 John 3, 2, dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because he, uh, we will see him as he is. Philippians 3, 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled faces look at as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So for doing spiritual bodybuilding, which is what this text I, I called and, and think through, we die first, we understand that there's different kinds of bodies that take place, we understand that we will be raised spiritually and physically, and we understand that when we are raised, we will look like Jesus. We're being made into his image, that we will bear the image of the man of heaven fully. Here's the problem. You and I in our culture tends to misunderstand our bodies radically. Especially when it relates to the idea of youth. We tend to value the looks of younger over the looks of the older. So we will spend untold amounts of money trying to make our bodies look younger. This is why each generation has its own fashion sense. This is why each generation comes up with their own idea of what style is and what style is not. This is why you make fun of me when I wear my New Balance 623s, or as you call them, dad shoes. This is why my cargo shorts have such vast contrasting opinions within the church body. Some of you are right, and others of you side with Morgan. But the goal for too many people is to look young is to buy into this lie that we have to maintain our youthful look as long as we possibly can because that's what the point of life is. It's a misunderstanding that the body dies before it comes back. We can also place too little care on our bodies as well, and this is a a two kind of ditches in the road that we have to observe. We can't place too much and we can't place too little. Right? Our bodies are not junk. They're not meant to be discarded like the wrapping paper on a Christmas present. They're given to us by God to take good care of it, not for our own selfish pleasures, but for the glory of the Lord. So what does this mean then? Well, for Christians, what this means is the body you have is given to you by God for something greater than just this physical presence you find yourself in now you are spiritual that you are living for something beyond just your physical body so don't get distracted by worldly things 
Don't get distracted by the fleshly, earthly things. Think about the eternal, spiritual things of life. Paul is pointing us to something that is coming to change the way that we're living now. For, new, for non-Christians, this is a hard passage. Because all of the new and the better body talk that's taking place is for Christians. It's not for you. You're not in this text. Outside of part of the body that is made in the image of the body of dust. You're made of dust. And this doesn't mean annihilationism. This doesn't mean that when you die, it just kind of cease to exist. It means hell. What's taught in the Bible is that all human beings will be bodily resurrected. You will be bodily resurrected too. And so your soul will meet your body when Jesus Christ comes back. They will be paired together. And those who believe in Jesus bodily will be taken with the Lord wherever God takes us. We can get into all the end time stuff later. And if you're not with the Lord, then you're cast into what is called the unquenchable flames of, of fire. Yeah, the lake of fire. Acts 24, 15, I have hope in God, which these men themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. John 5, 28 through 29, do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in graves will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, and those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it and heaven and earth fled from his presence and no place was found for them. Then I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and the books were opened and another book was opened which was the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. And then the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is not a comfortable doctrine. This is not a comfortable place, and it should not be. But this is a reality if we believe the truths of Scripture. That for unbelievers, you too will be bodily resurrected you will not be with the Lord in the sense of the presence of heaven. That the scripture is clear, you will be tossed into a lake of fire. What you decide to believe now impacts your eternity. And we are not promised more time. What we are promised is this is truth and this is real. We are promised that there is a way out. But it comes through the death of yourself. That you die to your wants, that you die to your desires, that you die to your sense of authority, and that you live your life in light of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. That you repent of your sin, your desire to be God. And you turn to Jesus in faith. Because he can give you far more than you can imagine. And some of what he gives you even now is a hope that this earth cannot give. 
and hope that we will be resurrected with Christ, that death is not the final end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you that there is truth in your word about us physically. God, your scriptures are not just things detached and things that, that take place in theological ivory towers that we can kind of think and ponder, but when it gets to our actual lives and our actual bodies don't have implications for us. God, that's not true. Your word is true. We know that even now, Father, you are spiritually bodybuilding. We recognize that the way that you have set life up is that we die first. So often we want to push that truth away and not deal with the reality of a physical death. God, don't let us tonight. Help us to understand that we will have different kinds of bodies, Father. That we'll be raised spiritually and help us to look like you, Jesus. To live our lives in light of your gospel. Help us to grow in you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.